This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is your favorite time of the week. That's right. It's your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast Around the Rim coming with a new episode. And um, it's me, your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. Hello. Um, who who has returned back to earth after floating around at the NBA All-Star um, festivities, meeting famous people, I name about dropping. You, oh, I heard you thought about me. I heard you talked about me a little bit too. Bought <laughs> me up to try to get into a couple places. I, I don't know how it, 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 I don't know where that could have been. Like my name <laughs> gets you in nowhere. I have no idea. It must've been into like the line of McDonald's or something. I don't know. Um, but yes, Tarika looked like she had a good time and we are going to recap those festivities, um, on a future podcast, but this is a special podcast for Tarika and I, um, it's our black history month edition of around the rim. You know, she and I are very passionate about women's basketball, but we both are multifaceted in our passions. And one of them is trying to um, open doors for those that are coming behind us for, um, you know, young women and young people. But in particular, um, young women of color, because Tarika and I represent that demographic, which is often underrepresented in many of the spaces in which we work. So we wanted to do something special for this podcast. What we decided to do was have a conversation um, about the state of the black coach in women's basketball. I'm sure many of you have seen the statistics, the articles, all the discussion out there about the lack of, of black coaches coaching women's basketball. And one may say, well, you know, what's the big deal? Why is that a concern? Well, the biggest thing is that a majority of our young women playing college basketball are black women. And the reason why this representation is important, just weeks after South Carolina coach Dawn Staley became only the second African-American woman to win a national championship in women's basketball, um, the numbers were calculated. And it was noted that only 11% of women's basketball coaches are black females. 11%. But do you know how many student athletes are black women? How many players are black women? 45%. 45% players, 11% black female head coaches in women's college basketball. And so, of course, our minds automatically go to Okay, so diversity is important in every space. Inclusion is important in every space. Representation is important in every space. But in particular, in a place where you have 45% of the participants, um, black women, where, where, are the, where are the coaches? And you can even take that further and say, where are the commissioners? Where are the athletics directors? Um, you know, why are the people who are playing the game or why don't the people who are playing the game look like the people that are representing the them in in other facets of the game and so we're going to have a deep conversation about that and um, I'll share with you in a moment exactly who we have on our show but I do want to read this that furthers the thought that I just shared Val Ackerman who's the commissioner of the Big East and she's a leading advocate for diversity and inclusion and leadership in the ranks of sport um, she said this and she she was talking about a report card that we will reference during this conversation developed by uh, Richard Lapchick, which most of you know. And that report card looks at racial and gender inequalities in sports and in hiring in sports. But Val Ackerman said this. 
aligning the demographics of the NCAA student athlete population with who our leaders are. I hope those in positions of influence will work aggressively to fulfill the promises um, and what looks to be and, and reverse what looks to be a troubling trend. So basically what Val was saying is we need to align the demographics of the student athlete with who our leaders are. And that is where uh, a major concern is in this space. So just to tell you quickly who's coming on the show, I am not hosting. Uh, but we have a fantastic moderator for this conversation, Felicia Hall Allen, who a lot of you know. She's an attorney, leadership development consultant, former WNBA executive and Nike manager. Um, she's an agent, uh, but she's just fantastic in this space. She's great to create dialogue, having conversations, getting people to share. Um, she and her husband, Johnny, actually have a coach's pro- coaches professional development event called the step up that is in my opinion the best of the best i mean i've been a part of it on many occasions as a moderator and there's just something special that happens in those rooms so if you're an aspiring coach or your current college coach or your head coach even because they have a head coach portion of the program now may um, that first week of May in Atlanta, just Google a step up and I would sign up and definitely be there. But Felicia is so good in having this conversation. So she's going to be our moderator. Um, one of our, our sessions features two national championship coaches. One was head coach and that's Carolyn Peck, who's the head coach at Purdue and won a national championship there and is now um, on staff with Stephanie White at Vanderbilt at her alma mater. She is going to be in a session joined by Carol Owens, who's an assistant for Notre Dame, who won a national championship there, but also was a head coach at Northern Illinois. The second portion of the conversation is with a conference commissioner and an athletics director, because that is a very important part of this, is who's making the hirings and firing decisions in women's college basketball. So we have um, Tamika Smith, who's going to join us, who's a very good friend of mine. She is the athletics director at UC Riverside. Um, and we also have Jackie McWilliams, who is the conference commissioner of the CIAA. So we are very excited to have Tamika on the show as well as Jackie. Um, and you might know Tamika as Tamika Smith-Jones. She sometimes uses uh, the hyphenated version of her name. And last but not least, we have a panel of current coaches. Um, we And that's... I mean, it's a great group, and I think you're really going to enjoy their insights on the state of the coach, um, the black coaching in, in college women's basketball. We have Quentin Hillsman, who is the head coach at Syracuse, which was in the Final Four um, the year before last. We have Coquise uh, Washington, who has vast experience, but I think the biggest thing is she was president of the WBCA, so part of her responsibility, in addition to being a head coach, is having these conversations, and they did some really unique things at the WBCA that Felicia will talk about in terms of how to grow um, or how to support minority coaches. Then we have one of the rising stars in coaching, and really she's already there, Yolette McPhee McEwen, um, who is the head coach of women's basketball at Jacksonville University. She's going to lend her, her, her thoughts to this. And last but not least, we had to have HBCU representation. So David Six, who's the head coach at Hampton University, that the, the HBCU team that nobody wants to play. If you remember them giving <laughs> Kentucky a scare a few years ago, but I mean, he's done an amazing job. Uh, the number of MEAC championships that he's won and, and just the success he's had is incredible, which also takes me to another place. And this is why this is passionate for me. 
I have friends of all colors, of all races, of all genders. And oftentimes I find that my friends who are having great success get overlooked. I don't know how many phone calls David Six has gotten at Hampton about his willingness to, to take a, another job or to take a step up, um, despite the consistent success that he continues to have. Is there a stigma on the HBCU? Like, what's happening here that someone that has had success and been proven is not even given a phone call for jobs, maybe even in his own state? at the FBS level or even at the mid-major level coming from MEAC. So this is something that I carry and I watch my friends go through and, and coaches that I know of what is happening with the black head coach and, and why aren't those opportunities given to them and why isn't there more representation of what our student athlete makeup is. So without further delay, please enjoy this very important conversation. Up first, Felicia Hall Allen moderating a conversation with Carolyn Peck and Carol Owens. Hello, everyone. It is Black History Month, and we are excited that LaChina Robinson and ESPN have decided to place a focus on the black coach this month. So you all are aware that a couple of weeks ago there was um, an article in the Chicago Tribune and it talked about how colleges are the worst ever in hiring women of color. And that conclusion was drawn from a study from the Institute of Diversity and Ethics in Sports. You both are former head coaches, stellar careers in your own right. Carolyn, first national champion for women of color and women's basketball at the Division One level and Carol, Coach of the Year with USA Basketball during your time and instant with them. I really would like to know, having two associate head coach coaches on the line from Power Five conferences who have already demonstrated that you're very capable of coaching at this level, my question for you all would be, what does the climate and the hiring practices and collegiate athletics give you pause around or hope regarding? Well, this is Carol Owens. Being at multiple institutions, you see multiple ways of how the hiring process proceeds when they're looking for a head coach. And the question becomes, who's on the other end of the phone, who's at the table, when the discussion is, is happening. I think the progress is we're seeing more women of color, um, more people as a whole, uh, a little bit more diversity in administration in terms of athletic directors, um, senior women's administrators, um, a lot of support ADs along the line that, hopefully will continue to grow. I think there's a lot of resources and professional development that is that are grooming people um, to become administrators. And with that becomes the discussion of who are the ADs the president's talking to to get their list or candidates um, when looking to hire another head coach. And so I think that's where we, we have the challenges because in my experience in hearing other 
administrators talk, they're going to call their colleagues and probably their colleagues, if, if any, is there any diversity um, in that conversation? And so with that said, finding the candidates, getting them um, the list of people, the people of color, to be in that discussion. I think when you look at uh, the issue of for women in color, it's a one and done a lot of times. Uh, there's not the recycle opportunities for if you have chosen the wrong job or it didn't work out, then a lot of times that's your only shot. So you have to be really careful and selective in when the opportunity presents itself, not every opportunity is the right one. Because when you have the opportunity to win or to be a head coach, do you have a chance? Is it a program that is going to support you to win? Because if you don't, it's usually one and done and that's it. So I think that um, one of the things that women of color have to really take a look at is what are the uh, available jobs and how can you put yourself in that position? And when you put yourself in the position, then to make sure that you ask all the right questions in order to put yourself in a position to be successful. Because if you're not, a lot of times it's one and done and that's it. You know, the other thing, too, is in the process for selecting women's basketball coaches, I don't think the process is always the same as it is for uh, men's coaches. A lot of times the selection committee includes people who have coached before. And they usually have a pulse on what the climate is and who's doing what at all different levels. I think in the women's game, a lot of times it's the assistants um, or the associate head coaches that are seen in the Power Five conferences that may get that opportunity. But when you look at the women of color and we talk about the Power Five, I just went back and looked at, you know, you look in the SEC, there are four African-American head coaches. Three of them are ranked in the top 25. And you have, in the ACC, there's two black men and one black woman. In the Big 12, there's one black woman who is in an interim position, and there's one in the Pac-12. I believe that there are other capable and quality African-American women that could coach at, in a Power 5, at a Power 5 program, could be successful. And sometimes it gives me pause of wondering what it would take to get that opportunity for more black women. Carol and, and Carol, thank you so much for those responses. I'll say a bit of positive news is the fact that the 2017 Division One National Champion is a woman of color, Don Staley at the University of South Carolina. In addition to winning games, Don is putting butts in seats because South Carolina is leading the nation in attendance as well. And she's also been tabbed to be named the next Olympic coach. So there's a model and footprint of what success could look like when afforded the opportunity. And I also think that in the SEC right now, Joni Taylor is being considered for Coach of the Year. So when given an opportunity, we can succeed. At the mid-major level, Charlotte Smith at Elon University was the Colonial Athletic Conference Coach of the Year. So your points are very well taken. 
My next question is, as associate head coaches, how do you all feel like in your role it can be used as a catalyst for change? There are so many of our millennial student-athletes who are choosing to use their voices to bring attention to some of the societal ills that are taking place. And oftentimes the head coach's focus is in one place, but you all really have a pulse on where the student-athletes are. How do you all impact change in a proactive way rather than a reactive way, which is how most of America has handled some of the situations from the kneeler stand or from the I can't breathe movement. Well, this is Carolyn, and I think one of the things that I try to do is talk about it, but not just talk about it to people who look like me. You've got to talk to people who are different from you to help them to educate them on the abilities and the potential that there are in our young African-American women. You know, a lot of times in talking with our student-athletes and the ones that particularly are interested in going into coaching, and some of them see the numbers or the limited numbers of minority, and they go, I'll never get to be a head coach. And to talk to them about, no, that opportunity is going to be there, but are you going to be prepared for it? And to talk to them about ways to be prepared also to talk to them about ways to network and to get outside yourself, to stay um, always constantly learning, constantly networking, constantly engaging so that you can not only continue to learn, but you can also help people to learn about you and what you know. You do a terrific job of going to putting on your symposiums for uh, head coaches and for assistant coaches. I think it's important for us to sponsor young coaches to be able to come to that. That's a wealth of knowledge. I mean, I've been in and out of coaching for the last, I'm not going to tell my age, but a long time. (laughs) But every time I come to those symposiums, I walk away having learned something that can benefit me should that opportunity present itself for me again. And I think that encouraging young women, because a lot of times it's like, well, I don't have the money. Well, I'll sponsor you. Go. Because you're going to learn a wealth of knowledge in the two or three days that you spend at those symposiums. Thank you, Carolyn. I'd like to thank both you and Carol because both of you for the last several years have sponsored um, aspiring college assistant coaches. Carol, I would like to know from you, I know that your time is short right now. Do you have a response to that question or do you want me to throw another one out? Just a short response. Um, my my response would be um, building relationships um, in any type of business or uh, career that you're in. It's all about building relationships. And um, even with our young student-athletes that have the potential of uh, being coaches, we talk about relationships, and it's not, you know, obviously who you know, but who knows you, networking. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot with networking, and um, you know, I try to be the bring that along to every facet of you know when I'm out recruiting and I see young coaches to you know they'll introduce themselves to me or I'll introduce myself to them because you know 
they're the future of how this the state of our our game goes. And so, um, a lot of them come into it because they see the the glamour part of it. But you know, the reality is, it's a lot of work, and but it's rewarding in a lot of different ways. And so, I would say building relationships is really the key. Mentoring, um, teaching them how to network, um, and you know them student athletes coaches seeing themselves and you you know how we represent ourselves is just as important Mm -hmm. absolutely right great answer carol last thing i'd like to know real quick Um, you said it just a moment ago i think both of you have in terms of how we stand on the shoulders of giants in the african-american community and there are many people who've come before us male and female and in different sports if there was someone, not sports-specific, any sport, a coach or a leader who you've looked up to and admired and respected, who's that person and what's the lesson you learned from them? Carol Owens, Notre Dame. Um, you know, I think it's multiple people, and some of them have been athletic directors um, that have, tur- you know, were coaches that have turned into you know, ADs and obviously coaches. And, um, you know, Pat Summit, I think for all of us, has been someone that has been a leader of how we all wanted to be as, as head coaches. You know, my, my boss currently, Muffin McGraw, of just having the standards and the integrity, um, coaching with integrity, um, not being afraid to say and speak out for women. Um, we really pushed that here at Notre Dame. And then there's been athletic directors like Sandy Barber, uh, Kevin White, that have been coaches before um, that understand the game and have been very, uh, very good mentors uh, for me. And I'm sure there's going to be others along the way that I'm going to adopt as my mentors. But, um, you know, they're just being people of just how to do the the things right and never compromise compromise your standards along the way and always having passion for what you do, I think, keeps me in the game a lot longer um, than most. Carolyn Peck Vanderbilt, well, my first coaching opportunity was at Tennessee with Pat Summit. Uh, And I'm growing up in East Tennessee and watching a young coach coach with such passion and determination and then to have the ability to work for her and understand – that the caring piece that she brought to the players. And also along with Pat was Joan Cronin, who was the female athletic director of the whole women's athletic department at the University of Tennessee. They carried herself as though she belonged at the table and always operated that way and I think was as big a part in helping Pat Summit to build uh, the Lady Bra- the Lady Vault brand to what it grew to its highest prominence and that it's remembered by everybody today. I'd also have to say Vivian Stringer in watching her uh, from being at Cheney to Iowa to Rutgers and the battles that she had the op- had to go through, the glass ceilings that she broke through. When you look at uh, Marion Freeman. Amanda Washington, I mean, George Ravlin, John Chaney. I had the opportunity when I first started coaching 
uh, at Tennessee, Pat Summit um, provided the opportunity for me to go to the Black Coaches Convention, and I got to sit at a table with all of those legends. And it was Vivian Stringer that pointed out to me that I was the first African-American assistant coach that Pat Summit had ever hired. I didn't even know that. And how she instructed me that it was very important that I do a good job because if I don't, there won't be another one. And I'll never forget that. And I watch everything that she has done going and being a successful coach and dealing with adversities off the court and still staying focused and strong as a wife and as a mother. Uh, that's a huge inspiration. When you look at Coach Stringer coaching today, um, going after a, a thousandth win, the longevity that she's brought and dedication to the game. You know, one of the reasons that I left commentating and coming back into coaching is because in looking at those women, uh, looking at a Joni Conrad, those were guardians of the game. And who is going to do that now so that you provide other opportunities for women, and especially women of color, to experience this great profession of coaching and coaching at the highest level and working with the most elite of elite athletes and being playing a part in sending them out into the world to be better and to be able to be successful on their own. And maybe you got to play a part in molding that. And I learned that. That is an incredible response. I would say this, that it is interesting in listening to you talk about the history of, of our game, but also those people who have led the way. One of the things that has been critical in the success and the opportunities and access that coaches of color have had is that there have been others who've not looked like us who've been willing to open doors, and you named several of them. And I think that in order for the game to get to the next level and for the outlook to continue to remain bright, we have to continue to open doors and create access and opportunities for coaches of color. I think Booker T. Washington said it best when he said, success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome while trying to succeed. And, Carolyn, though you're in an associate head coach role, I know that we all will be excited to see you transition one seat over and take your rightful place as a head coach once again, and hopefully in a Power Five conference. You are a history maker, and it's also good to hear that you're also a historian of the game. And so it is with great respect that we pay tribute to you during Black History Month, the first African-American national champion in women's basketball. Thank you for your grace, and thank you for your commitment and devotion to the game. Well, Felicia, I really appreciate that. But you know, none of that ever happens without the kids. And that's the, you know, the first, and when people talk about being the first African-American coach of women's basketball to win a national championship, I think about those young women that were on that team that stayed dedicated throughout that season that allowed me to experience something that I will cherish for the rest of my life. And that's really, really special. And we want to thank you for your time today. You were exceptional. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Felicia.
Now we will talk about the administrative side of this discussion. We have with us the commissioner of the CIAA, Jackie McWilliams, and the athletics director at UC Riverside, Timica Smith-Jones. I'd like to start by saying that on the call, we have two ladies who've been pioneers in their own right. And one of the things that I am really excited about is both of them started at historically black colleges and universities in their professional careers. And that's significant because it made me think about Carol Mosley Braun, who was the first African-American mm-hmm. female senator to Congress, and in fact, the first African-American senator for the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. And Carol Mosley Braun said, defining myself as opposed to being defined by others is one of the most difficult challenges I faced. These two ladies are significant because they have been pioneers in their own right. Jackie, as the first African-American commissioner, and we have an athletic administrator who came from the HBCU ranks to be at UC Riverside right now. And we would just like to say that we are honored by your choices to be trailblazers in our community. I'd like to start by saying that we acknowledge that it has not been easy and that the NCAA has been put on notice to a certain extent by Dr. Richard Lapchick with the National Association for Coaching Equity and Development. He has said that in order for there to be some different strides made in terms of hiring practices, that administrators and decision makers are going to have to use different standards. He is also saying that perhaps akin to the NFL's Rooney Rule, that there should probably be something like the Eddie Robinson Rule, which would require a minority candidate to be interviewed and for two-thirds of the candidates interviewed to coach women's teams in particular. He said that this is needed. And he said that at the administrative level, they're proposing something called the Judy Sweet Rule, which would require universities to interview women and people of color for all senior administrative positions at the NCAA headquarters and Division I athletic departments. I'd like to ask you, are we still living in a time where coaches of color and administrators of color need to have an advocate? a champion, and our NCAA policy similar to the NFL's Rooney Rule in order to provide access and opportunity for you to be given a chance? Is that rhetoric? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm asking you, are we still living in a time? I already know we are, but I need to hear you say. (laughs) This is Tamika. We are still living in that time, unfortunately, but we're trying to make a difference day by day. Not not every um, month of once a year, every month during Black History Month, uh, day, day by day. I think that to further that thought is who's accountable for the growth, access, and opportunities that we should be afforded? I'm asking that to both of you as well. Yeah, this is Jackie. I, I You know, it's, it's unfortunate that we're still having these types of conversations, and it's unfortunate that the numbers 
are real and um, and the numbers don't demonstrate who we say in culture, community, diversity, and inclusion, and that we have to put programs in place, we've got to put pipelines in place, and that women or people of color cannot be seen for the value of what they bring to the table. It's got to be strategy around how we get hired, um, but there's no strategy on how we get fired and, and get replaced. So it's always an interesting dynamic to me on who's responsible for that and those people who have the power to make decisions. So these conversations are great, and it's great, great to sit around the table with presidents and, and board members, um, but they're the ones who get to make the decisions at their institutions. They hire athletic directors. They hire, um, you know, key personnel on their team that should hold people accountable for how they're bringing folks in their departments or their institutions. And you have to be intentional about that, particularly because of the history of this country and what we've been founded on and what we've been grounded on in discrimination. And so we're still fighting those battles to get one in place or two in place. And it shouldn't be the case. The great thing is that we're talking about it. Like Tamika said, you know, it's an everyday conversation. I know for all of us who work in the space, um, and who wants to see change, and it's going to continue. There's people like myself and Tamika who have the opportunity to sit around the table and be blank and honest about what's going on to help move the needle. It's not easy, not easy at all, but those who have the power to make the decision and those who have the ability to influence change have to speak up and make it happen. Tamika, as an athletic administrator, how can you become a catalyst for change, access, and opportunities? Well, I, I, I say the same thing as, as um, Jackie has said. You know, as leaders, we're all accountable for this. I was hired, um, almost hand-picked out of this country in op- options for our chancellor at University of California, Riverside. He interviewed several people, but he was very clear he wanted um, someone that would reflect the campus that we're a part of here in California, and that's a very minority um, diverse, inclusive campus, and so I'm very fortunate to be able to work alongside the vision and mission of this university by um, what Chancellor Kim has done um, for this entire campus in this region. And, and with that, I take full responsibility and think that all administrators sitting in the seat, anybody that has leadership opportunities, must take you know intentional steps, like Jackie said, strategy um, for hiring. Um, you know, and, and let's not get it mistaken. We want the best person for the job, regardless of, of any specifics. However, my concern is not having enough people of color in the pipelines yeah. and opportunities presented to them. So I hear, you know, people say there's not enough, you know, qualified candidates. I beg to differ. I, I got a chance last year, last summer, to go to um, Cal State Fullerton. I was invited by their head men's basketball coach to what they call a think tank. And it was a room full of over 50 men of color trying to break the ceiling and get into the profession and wanted to hear from an athletic director that would be honest and candid and forthright to help them get there. So, um, you know, I, I did that in the midst of a lot of business I had going on and travel, but I knew how important it was to get in front of those, those men and be able to share with them how perception and how, you know, what they're doing prepares them and, how, and what the barriers really are out there so they can prepare yeah. themselves to overcome those. And Tamika, to that end, I recall when there was an organization that was referred to as the Black Coaches Association that existed. Yes. 
and then there was the there were the advocates for athletic equity, and then yeah. there, there the NCAA was really intentional, and Stan Johnson ran a, a program around making sure that minorities had an opportunity who were interested yeah. in college athletics. With, with being giving not a handout but a hand because exposure matters yep. much. Yeah. And I actually created, along with my husband, a program, a professional development symposium grew out of a need to create opportunities for access, exposure, and for information. And we started what is called the next level for aspiring head coaches who want to be able to interface with decision makers, kind of similar to the Villa 7 program, but Villa 7 was Mm -hmm. invite only. I believe that sometimes you don't fall from the right tree, but you still want to have an opportunity to grow. And I know that to your point, Tamika, there was a group of African-American male coaches who started creating what they call like a conclave, similar to what fraternities do, where men are coming together and they're trying to figure out how to take advantage. I think that we are a well-resourced community. We just don't have access. And without that, we don't have the opportunities to grow. And so I think that one of the things that I would love to and the audience to hear from you all would be if, if there was an opportunity for the NCAA to begin to think about a strategy, a growth strategy around diversity and inclusion, not just having an office, but a strategy, what could that possibly look like if we were strategizing for the next five to ten years? What are the things that are important in addition to the pipeline? How do we create and build that? So this is Jackie. Um, so I, I'm fortunate to sit on the inclusion, the the ad hoc committee for the culture diversity committee that reports to the board of directors for the NCAA. And then I also sit on the Gender Equity Committee that also reports to the Board of Governors. And these two groups will be working tangent, working together as they strategize recommendations that have already been submitted to the Board of Governors. And a lot of it is putting pressure on the presidents and the institutions to be more accountable for how they're hiring and how they're training and how they um, are being intentional to address the concerns and the issues of hiring women of color Um, minorities, period, and then also just women. So I do know, based on what I've been involved in and um, a strategy of a list of items that are being discussed, whether it's educational programming, collaborating with conferences. The one thing I, I talked about in a conference call last week is that conference commissioners um, have direct access to their presidents that they report to. So, for instance, when I get, when there's an a opportunity to hire in our conference, I get calls from my presidents looking for um, individuals or at least potential that could be in the ranks for years to come. And so I think every conference commissioner has an ability to influence and help and assist their presidents, but also help and assist their athletic directors as they're identifying individuals and preparing and to train them. The one thing that I'm very clear on, and we've talked about this, we have so many programs that are out there, Felicia, that our people are ready for jobs, like like Tamika said, but they're not getting access and opportunity. And some of that is you go to a training program and then you get on your campus 
And then once you get on your campus, you don't have access on your campus to be at the table or to be in decision-making or to have the title that you need to demonstrate that you are ready and prepared for the next step of the position. And so those things are being addressed on both of those committees on how to communicate that, to give toolkits and, and opportunities, um, and how do you provide opportunities and access for administrators and coaches and those who are working in the athletic department so they have a chance to be prepared when those opportunities arrive. It's a lot of work, but I can tell you that the NCAA and the groups that they have been put together in the and the, the conversation from the Board of Governors is taking place. But at the core of it, the NCAA can only do so much. It goes back to the hands of these institutions that have to be um, engaged and involved, and they want to make a difference, not because they have to, but because it makes sense of what they need to do in order to uh, diversify, but also to make their representation look like the students that they have on their campuses. Jackie. Very well said. Very well said. So I think that the next thought that I have is that Dr. Mae Jemison, who was the first African-American female astronaut, said, never be limited by other people's limitations. Yeah. And Tamika, coming from a historically black college and being handpicked for your job at UC Riverside, it is important that you were not limited by someone else's impression of what that meant, but you have been able to carve out a space for yourself. If you were to write a letter to a young black administrator, or just take young out because we don't always get opportunities when we're young, to an aspiring administrator of color, and you had an opportunity to give them or allow us to hear the 30-second intro to your letter, what would that sound like? It would probably start off saying, um, you know, I'm an illustration of hope that you have the gift in you to be and do whatever you desire to do. Don't let um, the numbers scare you. Don't let... The, the thoughts of others um, deter you. Um, continue to prepare yourself, and don't be a, a, a lamp that's hidden under a bushel. Let your light shine. There's a fine line between um, building your brand and building your buzz, but I think that's where the gap is right now for a lot of minorities. You know, people want to, you know, keep us at a, at a certain level and don't want us to get, you know, brighter or, or you, know, um, you know, create this space where, you know, I'm in such an amazing space at the University of California, Riverside, because of the, the mission of this university. And so I love to tell people that I get a chance every day as a minority to serve other minorities, other underrepresented, you know, in, in, in my space. And so that's my niche. So the last closing of that letter, I would say, find your niche and be okay with that. And don't, don't try to be authentically you. Don't try to be and do anything else. You can learn a lot but don't become anybody. Be who you are, and that's what the world is waiting on. I love that. Thank you. Commissioner McWilliams, you've been acknowledged for being the first in a lot of different areas. I think that one of the things that kind of comes to mind is that we can make the big time wherever we've been planted. Mm -hmm. And if you were to write a letter 
<laughs> to an aspiring administrator who wanted to become a commissioner of an athletic conference. And the CIAA is doing it better than most. Living in Charlotte, I understand the economic impact that you're bringing to Charlotte. $30 million in five days? Incredible. And to have you at the helm and leading that charge is significant and impactful. And if you had an opportunity to inspire someone else to dream, what would the first 30 seconds of your letter sound like to a dreamer? Wow. It, it would say, you are hashtag awesome. You are amazing. You were built to be something bigger than you even can imagine. You are destined to, be, <laughs> to reach that destiny. Stay true to your mission, stay true to your passion, but stay faithful to the one above. And all things will come together because he's already ordained that for you. That's what I would say. That's outstanding. Last question, ladies. Who was the person who inspired you to dream bigger in the realm of college athletics? What made you believe that you could not just leave but serve in college athletics? This is Tamika. I would say my president at Clark Atlanta University, Dr. Carlton E. Brown, who I met as a graduate student at Savannah State University where he was the president at the time. He came to Clark Atlanta as an executive vice president. We saw each other in passing, and he said one thing to me that day that we met on that campus. He said, I've been watching you from afar. You keep doing what you're doing. Your gift will make room for you. And, And probably three or four years later, he got the opportunity to appoint me as his athletic director, and that was the first opportunity I got to sit in the seat, and from there it was history. Thank you. Oh, wow. wow. Jackie, same question. Yeah, you know, what's interesting, Dr. Brown was one of my advisors and his wife at um, Hampton University, so you see how the circles of influence happen, and I would say, um, geez, I would say Judy Sweet. You know, every career decision that I've made she has helped me navigate and not necessarily tell me that's the right position, but really challenged me to think and to think about that position and how it would build me, grow me, and influence my life. And I, I like to think that even when I told her when she hired me at the NCAA and she asked me, what did I want to be? What was your dream job? And I said to be the commissioner at the CIAA. And she looked at me and she said, well, how do we get there? And that's the type of person that you want. And that's the kind of person I want to be when I surround or or a young person or a seasoned person ask me, you know, how do we get there? And then you do everything you can to help me navigate that space so that I am prepared for the next without having any reservation or insecurities that would block my blessing. And so I would say Judy. Very inspiration for me just to even get to this. And there's others, but she comes to mind first today. Wow. That's absolutely incredible. I would like to thank you all for your time. And I think that what resonates with me with what you all have had to share allows me to think about something that one of my favorite poets, Langston Hughes, shared. He said that we should hold fast to our dreams 
For if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. And college athletics is fortunate to have two eagles not just flying but soaring and for keeping watch and making sure that opportunities continue to come to those who work hard, who are disciplined, and who are prepared. Thank you so much, Commissioner McWilliams, and thank you, Athletic Director Tamika Smith. We're fortunate to have you among our ranks. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you. And now for a dynamic group of coaches, Felicia Hall Allen once again moderating a conversation with Quentin Hillsman of Syracuse, Coquise Washington of Penn State, Yolette McPhee McEwen from Jacksonville University, and David Six of Hampton University. Wanted to start out by sharing this. Black History Month has always been one of my favorite months because it was an opportunity for me to learn a little bit about who I am, where I come from, and all of the power that people of color possess and how we've helped to build, mold, shape, frame America. I'd like to start by sharing that one of my favorites has always been Booker T. Washington, who was an American educator, author, and orator. He advised presidents. And between 1890 and 1915, Booker T. Washington was a dominant leader in the African-American community. I'd also like to share that on the call right now, we have several people, coaches, who are educators and dominant leaders in the coaching profession. I'd like to start by sharing this. Recently, I read an article in the Chicago Tribune that said that colleges are the worst ever in hiring women of color and coaches of color. That conclusion was drawn from a study from the Institute of Diversity and Ethics in Sports. I'd like to ask the coaches on the phone now, what's your take on the state of the black coach and college athletics. If you would state your name and then share with us your thoughts. Uh, Quentin Hillsman, Syracuse University. Um, I think that one of, one, of, one of the most important things to note at this point is just um, the opportunities that are provided. And I think that um, in 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 this generation, in my generation, it, it is um, is a great concern on the um, amount of um, amount of, of African American coaches in the in the in the college ranks, and especially in the in the uh, BCS levels. I think that we have very very good quality and qualified assistant coaches um, that will have opportunities to move up the ladder and become head coaches. And I think that um, in 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 this climate and in this um, time that, that we definitely need to need to empower each other and to be able to pass on knowledge and, um, and the pathways to become a head coach. A lot of it is just being, um, being, being able to be in the right settings, being able to um, network, being able to communicate with, with ADs and with, um, and with agents, you know, and, and with people who search, search firms. I think a lot of it is just, is just not being in the right places at the right times, but I also think 
a lot of it is, is just is just being provided with opportunities. I think that once we get opportunities, that we're going to excel at being head coaches. Thank you so much, Coach Q. Uh, Yolette McPhee McEwen, Jacksonville University. I just think the the state um, is definitely one that can be improved simply because of exposure. You know, a lot of times I've had conversations with head coaches that were looking for assistance. Uh, Coaches wanted a minority coach, whether it was a female or a black coach, and just did not know of a good pool. And uh, I think that is the number one issue along tied in with the opportunity. It's just a lack of exposure. People hire who they know, who they're comfortable with. With that being said, and with what Coach Q said, it is important that, you know, people of color get in the right settings and environments so that people can know that they are more than qualified and um, willing to take on and ready to take on uh, positions of leadership. Thank you so much, Joe, which that is a great segue into my next question. And we'll get Coach Six and from Hampton and Coquise, Washington, from Penn State to answer this next question. So the National Association for Coaching Equity and Development Um, which is led and run by Todd's director, Richard Lapchick, has suggested that the NCAA implement something referred to as the Eddie Robinson rule, which is akin to the NFL's Rooney rule, which would require a minority candidate to be interviewed and for two-thirds of the candidates interviewed to coach women's teams to be female. Lapchick also proposed something like a Judy Sweet rule for administrators to ensure that there is a woman and a person of color for all senior administrative positions at the NTA headquarters and Division I athletic departments. I guess my question is, are we still living in a time where coaches of color need an advocate, champion, and are NTA policies similar to the NFL Rooney rule in order to provide opportunities and access? to give us a leg up so that we have an opportunity to not only be seen but heard and, and really given an opportunity for the jobs that are available? This is David Six from Hampton University. You know, I, I, I think that uh, and my concern would be um, uh, I wouldn't want someone to humor me and interview me if they didn't intend on truly giving me the job. I think oftentimes that, the concentration is on who can win the press conference and not necessarily on who can win games. And, um, you know, in AAU, if you look at AAU, the, the the reflection of the number of minorities coaching AAU does not go on to college. And I, I don't think that uh, college administrators uh, – uh, often pay attention to those things. I, I think that there are other metagame circumstances that, that, that uh, hurt minorities in, in hiring. Um, so, so to answer your question, I do think, unfortunately, that uh, we need somebody to uh, oftentimes represent us or tell our story. Thank you, Coach Six. Coach Washington, you just joined the call. Can you chime in? Sure. The... The dearth of women 
and people of color in administration is really uh, an area that, that sorely needs to be addressed. The, the, the people who are in decision-making positions um, need to be, there needs to be more diversity in those rooms. And I think when we, when we can address that issue and um, have a more diverse administrative structure nationally, um, and that's both within conference conferences, the conference structure, um, and within the university structure. Um, I think that's an important step that that will help um, all the issues when it comes to advancement in this profession. So I think that's that's the next um, really the next frontier that that has to be attacked and addressed is uh, diversity within the administrative ranks. Thank you so much, Coach Washington. I'd like to give a shout-out to the WBCA for creating a diversity and inclusion arm to the business at hand for being able to manage coaches and advocate on their behalf. I'd like to ask Coach Q and Yo Yolette if you all will share with us, who do you think is accountable for growth, access, and opportunities on college campuses for coaches of color and women of color? I think it's unfortunately <laughs> and fortunately, I think that is that that has a lot of a lot of a lot of tentacles. I think that when you when you when you when you, when you look at campuses, I think they're 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 ran on three different levels. Obviously it's the it's the you know it's the it's the chancellor and the vice chancellor, then you then you go down to kinda of like your your um your like academic deans and your provost and then you go down to those like student groups on campuses. And I think that it's a it's a it's a it's a collective thing because I think that we're finding more that a lot of the stronger voices on on, on our campuses are the are the are the student bodies and, and are the student groups and are the um and are the advocacy offices. And I think that until um the students and the student athletes um, pretty much voice their opinion on diversity and on and on having diverse staffs, and how important it is how important it is for them to grow and how important it is for them to become you know productive you know you know men and women out in this in this in this in this workforce and out in this corporate um, community and even in the upper level of of sports. I think it really starts at the at the at the ground level and who these kids want to be coached by, who they want their administrators to, to be, who what do they want them to stand for, what do they want them to put into their lives. Because I think that at the at the at the top levels, unfortunately, some of those things are already just in, in place and they are what they are. I think you gotta kinda start at a lower level because I've as you see all these things that are going on on campuses, it, it's not the office it's not the president's office, it's the student body, it's the student organization that's actually making change on these campuses. Thank you, Coach Q. Coach Joe, you have a take on that? Yeah, I was going to have a little different. I agree. I have uh, another perspective, though. I just think it starts with us as minority coaches, too. We can have a hand on it. I can just speak from my own personal experience here at Jacksonville. Just coming in, being the first female black coach, um, to lead the women's basketball program, uh, I think that the conversations, first of all, you have to have success um, in order for people to want to continue to go down uh, that path. And so after achieving some success here, 
you know, it opened the door for me to have conversations with my athletic director, with my president, with the SWA about uh, diversity and and just exposing my team and and for them to feel comfortable and under and look in, at at our, my situation as a minority coach and say, you know what, this worked. We can try this again. We want another. We will we'll do this again. You know, and and so I just. I know everyone's not fortunate to have those conversations, but I know that I do a great job of going, and I'm very intentional, not a great job. I'm just intentional about having those conversations with the people in power as much as possible, bringing my team around, which just happens to be predominantly black, in um, the view of uh, being in the community or being strong academically, just to for them to see another avenue. Because sometimes it's just exposure. You know, people don't know what they don't know. And so when they see my young ladies out of uniform, in the classroom, in the community doing well, I know for them it encourages them to want to continue to see that and, and be proud about it. Uh, and our president, Jess, scholarship a minority fund for uh, for minority students to come and do like this this workshop and master's program here at JU and I feel like you know I had a part of that you, you get what I'm saying just from being here and being a good citizen of the of the university and the campus as a as a minority person absolutely I, I hear you all saying that exposure is critical, but also who's in the decision-making role makes a difference. And coaches who are in the current roles having a voice and advocating on behalf of those who will follow them. You know, Dr. King said that the time is always right to do the right thing. And there has been just a wave, a ton of media exposure around the national anthem, whether one stands, kneels, holds hands, or even comes out of the locker room when the national anthem is being played. We've seen T-shirts, tweets, and a lot of back and forth around the kneel or stand controversy in the national anthem. Colin Kaepernick says that his stance wasn't against our flag, but rather he was refusing to stand for the for the playing of the national anthem in protest of what he deems are wrongdoings against African Americans and minorities in the United States. The Black Lives and All Lives Matter movements have been real, and student athletes have been engaged, informed, and they've chosen to use their voice. I think that one of the things that I wanted to say, because coaches have had to take a stance, as have athletic departments, and I really wanted to get a take from you all regarding what has been kind of your take on how to bring attention to some of the issues that impact the African-American community in particular, coaches and our student-athletes. Thurgood Marshall said that in recognizing the humanity of our fellow beings, we pay ourselves the highest tribute. I really would like to know how you've handled this issue on your campus, 
and how you've been able to bring attention to other issues that impact the African-American community. This is Coquise. It's been really exciting, in my opinion, um, to be a coach at this time because, you know, as coaches, we often implore our student-athletes to recognize that they have a platform and what are they going to use their platform for? What are they going to say um, with this opportunity that they've been given? Um, Sometimes in the past year or so, it's been a little bit um, more national. It's gotten a lot more attention. But um, I think a lot of our student-athletes have been trying to have a voice on a smaller scale and just trying to impact change on their respective campuses in, in, in smaller, maybe less visible ways. But I think what's exciting is the empowerment that the student-athletes are feeling now that they can be agents, agents of change. They can make a difference in their communities. And when we talk about coming to a college campus and learning and growing um, in that space, learning to have a voice, learning to make a difference, having the courage to stand up for your convictions and for what you believe in, um, it's really an exciting time to be um, in in this place, in this presence, um, and, and seeing our student-athletes um, go from, you know, just focusing on just playing and just winning games to being agents of change, having a voice, and empowering others um, to impact their communities. Thank you, Coach. Coach Six, you're on a historically black yeah. campus where being black is common every day. How have you all handled the impact of the kneel or stand issue with the national anthem or other issues that are impacting our African-American community, coaches, student-athletes alike? You, you know, what we tell our student-athletes is, is it's a difference between going to work and doing your job. And if you want to really make an impact in your community, you've got to go out into the community. Not just when the cameras are on, uh, watching you. You've got to go out and 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 really uh, look at the homeless, and 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 we do things like that. Go out and feed the homeless, and and go out and and look at some of the things that are are plaguing our community. Um, how we've handled it is 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 we've told the, uh, the team that we're a team. And whatever stance we're going to make, we're going to make together. And, and, and you know, fortunately for us, we've we've uh, we've done that. We've uh, uh, bonded arms together to to show the solidarity between our team. And 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 then we've turned around and gone out in the community and tried to impact it uh, in that way. And that's that's what we've done at Hampton. I really appreciate that. I know that. I have one more question I'd like to ask you guys, and I'd like to get a response from each of you, if you don't mind, Coach Q and Coach Yo. So the question is, if we were to be just made aware of this, I know that Kara Mosley-Braun, who was the first African-American female senator of Congress, she said, defining myself as opposed to being defined by others is one of the most difficult challenges I face. If you all were asked to write a letter to young black aspiring head coaches, or even if we dismiss the fact that they're young because we don't all get our opportunities the way that others do, if you were to write a letter 
to a black aspiring head coach, what would your 30-second intro to your letter sound like? Well, I would, I would just say very, very, very simple. Educate yourself before you try to educate others. I think that we get to a point to where we want to give our <clears throat> opinion on a lot of things and not really have a stance that is that is an educated stance, if that makes sense. Um, everyone has an opinion on something, but now once you form your opinion, is it is it is it is it valid? I think it's unfair for you to to force your opinion or to or to try to um what I'm looking for trying to get some kind of solidarity with a group of people if it's just your opinion. Let it be an educated opinion. Let it be something that you have an opinion about and you also research it and you studied and it has some some validity to what you're saying. You can't just be like a good talker, you know, is what you're saying. Does it does it have substance and is it true? And does it make sense? Coach Quentin Hillsman, Syracuse University. Thank you for that truth. I would say have awareness, but don't be owned by circumstances. I think that although that there aren't a lot of as much minority head coaches in the business as they should be, in my opinion, there are enough to know that it can be done. And so if it, and at a successful rate. With Don Staley winning the championship last year, with Coach Q being in the Final Four the year before, I mean, there is, and I can go on and on. There, there are enough positive examples out there to be inspired. So, while you're aware of the challenges that we are currently faced with, at the same time, you know, just continue to to work hard, continue to surround yourself with people that can help you get to where you ultimately want to go. And, uh, you know, numbers don't lie. So just, you know, work work your plan, plan your work and work your plan because it, it can be done. If I can do it, so can you. Thank you, Coach Olette McEwen from Jacksonville University. Coach Six, same question. Okay. Um, as I said before, we often tell our kids, do you want to go to work or do you want to do your job? As a young coach, you have to decide whether you're going to be a reacher or a teacher. You have to decide whether you're going to teach basketball skills or you're going to teach basketball skills and life skills. You know, oftentimes that means challenging your student athletes when they don't want to be challenged. You know, that means Oftentimes, your student athletes may not know what's best for them. You know, they may need to, you know, it's what they need to hear versus what they want to hear. And I and I always say this: I would rather a student athlete be disappointed in what I said to them than being angry that I lied to them. So be truthful, um, be impactful with your student athletes, and 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 challenge them to do the right thing because. At some point in time, they're going to have to put down that basketball and, and, and that thing called life will be staring them in the face. I agree with you completely. Nelson Mandela was the first black president in South Africa, and he said that fundamentally he's an optimist. If we were to end the call on an optimistic high note, 
and I ask each of you one word or phrase, one word or phrase that would kind of sum up your outlook on where we have to go as people of color in college athletics. Or it could be one word that would sum up your outlook on the future for coaches of color in college athletics. One word or phrase. Uh, Quentin Hillsman of Syracuse University. I think it's just all about being extraordinary. Be extraordinary. Be confident in what you do. Because if you don't think you can do it, nobody else will. Be extraordinary. Thanks, Q. Uh, you're like McEwen, uh, Jacksonville University. Um, on my way out, I would just like to say to uh, <clears throat> sometimes you can be delayed, but don't be denied. You know, just think in this profession or anytime you are in hunt for excellence, you have to have grit and you have to have belief. And without hard work, none of it matters. So just work hard. Um, stay focused and keep believing in, in your dreams. Thank you, Coach Yo. Coach Six. It's David Six, um, Hampton University. And uh, my one word or phrase would be uh, be prepared. Uh, when the opportunity uh, affords itself, you need to kick the door. I love y'all. And I thank you so much for your responses. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.